0: Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com provides tools for architects, designers, and construction professionals to discover, discuss, and specify products for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.
1: KZSU Stanford University's FM radio station broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at KZSU.org.
0: From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Dioro.
1: Thank you, Shay. For our guest today, please welcome John King, the San Francisco Chronicle's urban design critic. He covers architecture, planning, and related issues in the Bay Area. His writing on architecture and urban design has been honored by groups including California Preservation Foundation, Society of Professional Journalists, and the California chapters of the American Institute of Architects, as well as American Play Association. He was also a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism in 2002, and 2003. For more information, you can visit sfchronicle.com/author/john-king. Hello, John. We're excited and uh, honored to have you on the uh, the Modern oh, Architect. Thanks
2: for the invitation.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Glad to glad to to hear you you're here, John. What what kind of were your early inspirations to do the, the the type of work that you do? And it's 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 a it's a very dynamic. I guess, uh, I'll say it's dynamic. It's a, a lot of things. But what, what was your early inspiration to to uh, to, to do what you do presently?
2: One of the great things about journalism is you get to learn on the job and kind of head in the direction you want to go. So I did not you know, leap out of <laughs> the womb wanting to be an architecture <laughs> critic. Okay. But All right. really, like in my teens, I, I grew up in Walnut Creek. Okay. And really in my teens started to notice there was a difference between going to Sun Valley Mall in Concord and going to Grant Avenue in North Beach oh, or Columbus yeah. Avenue and things like that so I just started really kind of noticing and thinking about, well, why, again, not analytically, but just, mm-hmm. well, why do I like this more than I like that? And then was always interested in writing about, basically writing for a newspaper. Okay. Uh, no particular decision to do that. It just, that was always what I wanted and intended to do. I grew up reading the Chronicle. The Chronicle at that time had Alan Timko as our architecture critic, very good, a real flinger of lightning bolts from Mount Olympus. Very, I like that,
1: flinger of lightning bolts.
2: Very old school a critic of... who okay. started in the 60s. And, you know, so I grew up reading him, reading lot the Chronicles, very San Francisco oriented at the time. A lot of stories about changing neighborhoods, about fights over big development projects and things. So it was just something mm-hmm. that I kind of absorbed while doing everything else you do as a teenager and heading into college and things like that. And then uh, eventually went into newspapers, you know, uh, graduated in history from UC Berkeley, but then went to Indiana University where I got a master's in journalism. And from there moved to Boston worked at a weekly newspaper, three, eventually worked at the Boston Globe, writing about development and real estate and things like that. So, oh, Was that your choice? That, oh, it, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, because <clears throat> that's the whole kind of learning on the job. It was fun to write about neighborhoods, writing about downtown fights over towers and architecture. And, you know, if you're doing a good job, editors just want you to do more of it. So it was pretty easy to kind of
1: nice. –
2: Figure out ways to talk to architects and planners, and and again learn on the job. And then yeah. I um, started at the Chronicle at the end of '92. Back when I was seven years old, so I, I, I was a <laughs> <Stop>. prodigy. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> from there, um, yeah. actually started covering planning and you know covering the planning commission and whatnot, and then yeah. City Hall, and then did a column when we had a regional edition, uh, regional editions. I was in Walnut Creek, California's... uh, Basically, we had regional editions. This is before the Internet really kicked into high gear and redrew media. But we had a Contra Costa edition with the Walnut Creek office. So I was our three-day-a-week columnist. And that was a chance to really kind of get confident on the writing chops and then also make the case in-house that, you know, we needed to be having someone writing about architecture again. Yeah. I chose the um, urban design title because I was interested in how the buildings fit together more than pure works of architecture, but more—oh,
1: I like that neighborhoods, okay. downtown,
2: okay. skylines, things like that. Yeah. And then, you know, the Chronicle. Various things happen. They gave me that job, and it is a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. newspapers have changed so much. We're all leaner and meaner, so. <laughs> You know, next week I'll be working, or two weeks from now I'll be working the one p.m. shift type of thing. So you'll, yeah. you know, I'll be covering car crashes and who knows what. Um, but in the meantime, I'm working on architecture. Yeah. You know, so it, it goes all over the place, but it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. So, did you, um, did you approach the Chronicle about this? Uh, were doing in uh, features in architecture, or are they kind of it was kind of
2: both ways. I approached it in the yeah. house. I mean, okay. you know, I I was hired as a metro reporter who, but you know, my clips and my experience in Boston was very strong on writing about downtown development, writing about architecture battles and things. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up there, and then the idea of playing the critic's role. Not just being a reporter about the topic, but, you know, writing pieces with opinion and being proactive and kind of getting into the fray as much as possible. That was just a case of in-house saying, you know, this, we could do this. I actually did probably half a dozen pieces over the course of about a year for us. I think I even got paid freelance fees for.
1: No way. Because they were like
2: on top, you know, so I'm doing my column. Yeah. Out in Contra Costa, but then also doing these other pieces just to show. Well, here's what I would be doing if we revived the architecture critic slot.
1: Oh, Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Our journalism is a very flexible. Trade. Yeah. It sounds like it. So, yeah, yeah. How does it? Has a your work? If, if I don't want to say, yeah, I guess so. What has evolved or changed in say the last? four or five years with the, the recent uh, significant constructions that's going on and
2: now. The way that it has evolved, um, I would say I'm too San Francisco-centric now because there's just so much going on there. I mean, ideally, I would be doing, and this is my own measurement of how I should be okay. doing it. Ideally, once a month, I'd be doing pieces outside of San Francisco, you know, writing about the changing architecture in Stanford, writing about three suburban hospitals, whatever. You know, in Mm -hmm. other words, writing about the built landscape of the Bay Area. um, There is so much going on in San Francisco that there's just not that kind of time and leisure to say, okay, I'm going to drive down to the South Bay today. I mean, I've been meaning to do a downtown San Jose piece easily for a year. Or take a look at Santana Row, which is I wrote about when it opened 15 years or so ago. I was just starting out. Things like that are fascinating. And even if you don't live there, you can still make it. You know, there can still be interesting points in a piece. But it requires getting down there and yeah. spending time. I mean, you, can't, you cannot be a good architecture critic if you just drive by a building and then slow down <laughs> and figure, well, that's good enough. I saw it in real life. Back on the freeway. You know, you have to walk around. Yeah. You have to inhabit it. You have to spend time. Get it at different times of the day. Things like that. So, it, it's you know, it's a perpetually ongoing process. Yeah. Is
1: there a science to what it is that you do? How, how you what you you first look at a project or an environment and say, okay, I, I want to do, I want to do. Um a piece on this. Mm-hmm. Do you look at it from a perspective or do you go through a, a checklist, so to speak? Or is it a science to it? Is there an art to it to where you go, here's where I'm going to begin or does it evolve? Yeah,
2: Not, not a science or art, but definitely, definitely kind of a checklist you've just... Um,
1: a checklist you go, you go yeah, through? Yeah, basic, ment- basically, mental- it's,
2: not, it's not as if there's a specific way you go about it. But there's just kind of an ingrained sense, you know, a set of instincts you pursue. I mean, For instance, San Francisco, lots of towers have opened in the last two or three years. I'm not going to review each one and say, oh, gee, the glass skin is this, the mullions are that, the ground floor is this. It's more, here is a building that I can write about. And now we're talking about kind of pure acts of criticism rather than news or whatever. But, you know, it's like I can review this tower and use it to write about these other issues that would apply even if you don't know the tower I'm writing about. Okay. So that, for instance, I wrote about a tower last year that opened in San Francisco at 2nd and Howard Street. It's the LinkedIn building. And it was a way to write about kind of the disconnect between something that can be good architectural or tech- it can be good architectural technique, but it's very okay. bad urban design. Okay, It's a very well-designed, well-crafted office building that absolutely should not be where it is and in a lot of ways is very antithetical to San Francisco. And it's designed by a very good New York architect for a conscientious New York developer. Now, so there's okay. this whole... So I, I certainly since writing the piece more and more I had this grudging relationship with it cuz I walk by it a lot <laughs> a grudging and it's like relationship. you know the guy executed this stuff really well yeah. it's crisp it's detailed I can look at things he did that are similar to other buildings going up and that one and his is a lot better at the detail but you shouldn't have a big stack of black box black Boxes on a corner of Second Street, surrounded by all these old masonry buildings. It's just it's very off-putting and un-San Francisco. Okay, and so it's a way to explore that idea. Yeah, you know, rather than oh, here's another glass residential building on you know. So it, so it's kind of a question of thinking about how can I write about this particular building or set of buildings, and kind of spin the story larger. And make the criticism resonate with people who are looking at different landscapes and things like that. you know. Um, so that's kind of one approach. I make multiple visits to the building. If it's going up in downtown San Francisco, I've probably already thought about this is something I'm going to want to be writing about when it's done. For instance, the Salesforce Tower that's going yeah. up. I've written a lot of pieces about that. I mean, I wrote critical pieces when there was the design competition. I've done pieces that are much more the reporter than the critic writing about the changes within the neighborhood and how this building kind of recasts the skyline and things. I've written critical pieces looking at it, how it's kind of changed the relationship we have to the Transamerica Pyramid and things like that. All of that is folding toward the... At some point, I have to write a piece is this a good tower or a bad tower? What does that mean, and what does it mean for San Francisco? And I don't feel you can write something like that until the building is done and occupied. But I'm certainly thinking about it every time I walk by it or <laughs> sure. when I see it. And, of course, you can't not see it yeah. if you're anywhere in the Central Bay Area yeah. right now.
1: Yeah. So, so, so you said um, if you were going to tell the um, the seven-year-old that's, that uh, can follow up with you, you know, the one that— The seven-year-old that you, before you were, uh, you started. Right. Yeah. Let's say there's a new seven-year-old. Would you and tell them to share with them the same kind of process that you go through to kind of here's how you come up with a an accurate
2: story. I mean, I don't know if if there's yeah. I mean, there's there's a real difference between doing a story. For instance, uh, the Transbay Transit Center, which is that will now be the Salesforce Transit Center. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, I mean, that's a whole different story that almost becomes a business story. But, you know, that building, I have written about it a lot in what is more of a news analysis or news feature way. In other words, the different pieces coming together. I mean, if I'm talking to someone who's getting started or interested, there are definitely different disciplines involved. The discipline for being a good reporter is to collect a lot of information, talk to a lot of people all the time have your own independent intellect chewing through all this stuff. So you understand different people are going to tell you different things from different points of view. You synthesize that and you make judgments on your own that shape how you stack, stack up the facts, so to speak, how you line them up and all. Um, a critic is a bit more of kind of what is important about this. Does it work? How do I write about it? one of the first things I learned when I became our critic, and this goes back, you know, into the early 2000s, is that I couldn't get bogged down in writing about a lot of building details. I had to kind of choose one thing that captured what was good or bad about a building, describe that at length. But if I, like, decided, I'm going to design, I'm going to write about the rooftop, you know, kind of the, the way the rooftop meets the sky to give an idea of this architect's sensibility. And I spend like two or three paragraphs describing it and then saying this is what, I don't go, another example is how he deals with the ground floor and then go into, because every reader who's not a pure architecture junkie is going to leave the, you know, you're going to lose readers. So it's, you know, what I love about writing for the Chronicle is it's a general audience. I think it's a smart general audience as a whole, but you're writing for people who care about the Bay Area, who care about architecture. They care about cities and suburbs and all. Yeah. You're not writing for the pure architect or the pure architecture junkie.
1: How do you capture that essence? Every story. Because I've I've obviously read a number of your stories, and that essence, what you're saying, now that I understand Mm -hmm. where you're coming from before you begin, and then where you end up, how do you capture that essence every single story?
2: Well, you just kind (laughs) of, you think too much, and you waste time writing the piece, and then you decide it wasn't that good, and then you whittle it down, and... You do a draft and you think, okay, it's pretty good now. Yeah, especially I, with the I mean, range. The range of no, stories I'm, that you I'm have. Doing, I'm doing a large piece that will run in the paper Sunday on a building that's been open for a while. And something I try to do every now and then is essentially do a review of a building that's not new. Because it's, in other words, okay. how does this thing actually perform in real life and fit into the landscape in real life? And I'm in the process. I fin- it's, the piece is running Sunday. It will be a big piece and I'm getting to stretch out, but I actually made a point of finishing the draft last night because to get to that essence, I'm going to have to be tearing a lot of stuff up. You know, I finished the draft, and I was rereading it this morning, and I really like the top of the piece, but then the bottom third of it or so just gets to... Another example of this is the blah, 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 and then I have the architect talking about why he did that, and then it just turns into a story... And there's nothing wrong with that, but this is a piece. This is a piece of critical journalism. This is a critic saying, "How do we take stock of this thing now that it's put down roots?" And so, a lot of the final round, which will be tonight, and tomorrow morning, will be, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff.
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated. How do you get? To, I mean, you, you answered that question well. The, also, that that how do you be have substance with almost every sentence? Because I'm reading, of course, obviously I'm. A, I really like what you do, but I also notice. Objectively, there's substance whether you agree or not mm-hmm. to every sentence. How do you load it like that? If you've ever thought of it that way, I'm, I'm coming from my perspective. Right. But every sentence has is loaded with substance. There's not much fluff. If there's none. How do you do that? Even just as a writer, not just well, as a critic.
2: We don't have uh, we don't have room for fluff anymore. <laughs> okay. I mean, no. I worked I worked no. for the Boston Globe in the late '80s, and I mean, I loved it. Uh, Boston's a terrific city, and the Globe's a great newspaper. I go back and read the pieces I did then. They were a lot, and they weren't critical pieces. They were just like the guy who's covering development and. Downtown Boston and the Back Bay and the Financial District. And the paragraphs are fat and there are all these digressions going. You know, I had had a lot more room and inevitably I filled the room. The way, you know, what we do at the Chronicle, what I do, it's the rare piece that hits a thousand words. So you really have to make every sentence and paragraph. I mean, the rare piece. I mean, I wrote a piece before I came down today. I went to a meeting... Um, of the Trans-Bay Joint Powers Authority. I was there from about 9.30 to 10.45, got what I needed, ran out to an 11 o'clock tour of a building for the piece running Sunday, got back to the office about 12.45. I filed the piece, and I was in the car at 1.30, you know, only to find but, very little parking. Yeah, oh well, but that, but that's just like a straight news piece. I knew the length. Okay. You know, that's just like kind of boom. But even that, you, every sentence is moving you forward. I mean, and I think that's. There are many reasons I wish I was younger, but I, I do think I've gotten better as I've gotten older at distilling things into a sentence or a paragraph.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the distilling. We'll, go, we'll come right back to that. You're listening to The Modern Architect.
0: SourceWise Senior Nutrition has been operating since 1973 and provides services and support to Santa Clara County seniors, those with disabilities or any adult who needs help navigating their health and life options. SourceWise collaborates with county, state, and local networks to provide a streamlined approach to service and support. Services include information and awareness, health insurance counseling and advocacy, employment for low-income seniors, meals on wheels, and care management. To learn more, visit www.mysourcewise.com. That's mysourcewise.com. Now back to The Modern Architect.
1: We're talking today with John King, San Francisco Chronicle's Urban Design critic. For more information, please visit sfchronicle.com slash author slash john-king John, you, you, we left off with the, how do you distill it? You mentioned that word distillation. What, what, how do you, how the heck would you do that? I mean, especially with the, the, the breadth of work you've got, that you've got to work with.
2: Well, that's a tough question. I mean, you just, you learn to do it. <laughs> I mean, basically... Now you made me ask another question. How do you no, distill No, 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 it? no, it's, yeah. I've I've never read Hemingway, but, okay. you know, it's, again, talking about this piece I'm working on for Sunday, and I printed it out, double-spit, I am <laughs> I am such a Luddite, I mean, I, you know, like the piece today, I <laughs> really? pounded it out on the computer yeah. in, you know, 30 minutes, but I'm happy to do longhand drafts of leads and things, just to get the flow going, but yeah. like this thing, I've got my printout of the piece, which is a long piece, it's probably about, 1,300 words or so, which are maybe not that long. But, you know, for what we do, it's long. I've got the printout double-spaced. I'm going to be sitting down. I'm going to be scratching things. I'm going to be tightening things, really figuring out, do I even need to make this point? If I'm talking about how the workspaces of a building function, do I need to kind of do a checklist of three different things that each works pretty good but didn't match the opening hype? Or do I just use one? Or do yeah. I put all three of them into a paragraph that's... There are examples throughout the building. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's basically just you read yourself with a real tough eye. I like that. And that's, I mean, that's me. I know, you know, co-workers who I, I worked on a project a year or two ago with a really good co-worker. And we were talking and... We were writing different sections, and I did some editing to her section. And you know, I said, "Is this okay?" If we, because we could tighten this, and we could do this, and she's like, "I just write it, and I never read it again. That's fine. It looks good." Oh, really? <laughs> Whereas okay. I'm like going through it three or four. Or yeah. five, I'm really sweating it down if I if it's a piece I'm caring about. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's segue to your your book, the book that you wrote. Uh, share with our audience.
2: Your, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most it, recent book. I have done two books uh, for about eight years at the Chronicle. I did a column called Cityscapes. Mm -hmm. And I hope to bring it back. We we were going to bring it back this year. Great name, Cityscapes. I mean, that's – did you come
1: up with that? There's a
2: story in that, but I'll get to it later. But so essentially (laughs) it is – the idea was one building a week, and I was writing like 80 words on the building, you know, just one building a week basic biographical information on it so to speak you know fairy building architect arthur brown date built 1906 style classical boom and then like 80 80 words on it but but this was very much i saw it almost as an ongoing puzzle that you were putting together in other words not just oh here's a cool building boom but you're plucking out specific buildings for specific reasons so that kind of Someone who reads the column week by week is starting to get this larger picture. It turned into two um, two books published by Hay Day and Berkeley. Each book has 50 buildings in it, arranged around 12 themes. I, I'm sorry, four themes. So it's like 12 or 13 buildings to a theme. And I actually added some words. So they're like 100-word <laughs> entries. I got to stretch out. Uh you know, but but very much with the idea, you know, like the first one, um, the opening section was on icons, okay. architectural icons, and, you know, I think the first building I had was the um, Transamerica Pyramid, no surprise, but then other things in it included like a dental building. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: did you find anything unique that no one No, 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 I
2: did a lot. Of, I mean, okay. that was kind of the point, was it's okay. like an icon essentially is a building that people in a place see as emblematic of their place. So that included the church in the middle Sunset District that's near where I used to live. And it was just, pow, St. Anne's, you know where you are. And basically, lots and lots of communities have the big church that tells you where you are. You know, so just something like that. On the one hand, I'm writing about this church in the Sunset District. On the other hand, I'm writing about a small neighborhood or the small city that has that big church that's like kind of the gravitational force within it.
1: Yeah, it, does it yeah. necessarily have to be a big church or no? Could it be a, a, a smaller church? No, but just, another one to... of
2: the icons was the flood building that's at the Powell Street cable okay, car yeah. turnaround. It's just this classic building of that era. Yeah. You know, and then uh, another chapter was on history, which was a way of kind of a little bit of San Francisco history, but also a little bit of architectural history, and then, uh, again, all within San Francisco, you know, found a postmodern building to show that, found, you know, little things like that. The third section was on the landscape, and that was a way just to think about how buildings very much are kind of form this larger place. And so looking at buildings that just become backdrop buildings or buildings that form a certain thing about it and then the last section in that book which is in a way the section I enjoyed the most was change and how you can look at buildings and the buildings represent change and there was a particular building on Kearney Street I think it was the Harrigan and Weidemuller real estate building it's built in like the mid-20s it's two stories it's just this little two-story storefront built by a company that clearly thought a lot of itself. <laughs> um, yeah, how do you measure that, a,
1: too, if they think too much of themselves? Oh,
2: you can just tell. No, I oh, mean, it right. was just like, here's this okay. little two-story building on Kearney Street, but it's got, like, this grand arch, and it's got the name carved into the cornice okay. and things. And now it, it holds a lock company... Or, you know, in other words, basically now it holds like kind of a, a throwaway thing that's like kind of get your lock fixed, get your keys made. You can, I think, get like a pedicure. The signs are in English and Spanish. And you look at this one little building and you can really get a sense of a lot of things that went on in the city right there. Yeah. You know, and so that's the kind of thing. I think the last thing I had in the book was um, if you, if. Listeners haven't seen it, they should. Andy Goldsworthy, uh, his spire that's in the Presidio, uh, very different from the piece down here at Stanford University. Okay. That's the crack, you yeah. know, the, yeah. the one that's near the, uh, the canter. That's it. Yeah. I don't get down here much. <laughs> um, but this is he, he took a bunch of uh, buildings that had been felled as they kind of regenerate the landscape of the Presidio Formed them into this big spire, theoretically, over the decades they'll erode and drift away. But, you know, so here's this avant garde environmental sculpture in this old military base using things planted by the military in a place that's now kind of being reclaimed as a semi natural park. You know, so yes. something like that, it's a work of public art, but more, but it also is a way of thinking about all the changes around us. So that's, you know, that's the kind of, it's fun to try and, in a very accessible way, write about all these things we see around us that we might not, really understand what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. What brought about that book? I mean, how, did
2: you? Oh, it was just. It was just. I was doing this weekly column. Yeah. I'd, I'd had kind of an idea in my head, and then the editor at the time, uh, Ward Bushy, he really wanted things that felt San Franciscan in the paper. And so one of it was like, you got any ideas? And my idea was, well, you know, we could do this thing, just one building a week, blah, blah, blah. You know? That's in itself is San and Franciscan. Then, you got any ideas? Well, no, that's journalism. <laughs> you got any ideas? Because we ought to fill a space in the paper. But it being San Francisco, it's yeah. like, you got any ideas about San Francisco? Because yeah. we're San Francisco. <laughs> um, but with that, you know, and then talking with Heidi about some things just in a general sense – I kind of talked about that, and they knew the column and liked it a lot. Yeah.
1: So it evolved into... Yeah.
2: Okay. yeah. So it's a lot of fun. How about the other book that you had? It's the same thing. Okay, yeah. It's Cityscapes 2. Okay. (laughs) 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 Also known as the sequel. Yeah. Um, I doubt there'll be a Cityscapes 3. You sure? I don't think so. Um, And the reason I say it like that is that the second book, the themes, I didn't want to just replay the themes. So. You know the themes start to get a little bit more abstract, and mm-hmm. you know at, at some point, you know, you got to uh, ephemerality is not a theme that's going to move copies into a book.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that love that line. This is the Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford ninety point one FM.
0: The World Turtle Trust is dedicated to protecting the world's population of sea turtles. They are currently engaged in funding research and conservation projects in Hawaii, Costa Rica, Indonesia, and Sierra Leone. You can support their efforts or find out how you can get involved by visiting theworldturtletrust.org. That's world-turtle-trust.org. And now back to The Modern Architect.
1: We're talking today with John King, San Francisco Chronicles urban design critic. For more information, Visit San Francisco or Chronicle.com. That's sfchronicle.com slash author slash John Dash King. John, you mentioned uh, a little earlier, in, independent, I've not heard of that phrase. Is that your honor or is it, a, is it something I've just missed? Because I think it's, it kind of describes a lot of, you know, I, I just try, I'm trying to envision you with no one who knows you, mm-hmm. just in a city, in a cityscape, and you've got a lot going on. Have you seen your brain, your heart? Maybe you're hungry, but you've got a lot going on. So, that, Describe a little bit of that in, independent intellect. I've never oh, It's just that something phrase.
2: I said this afternoon, so maybe I did make it up. Okay, you did then. Okay. <laughs> it struck
1: me that I, just, I wanted to revisit that. What's your idea of that?
2: Uh, I guess to the extent there's an idea behind that, it's okay. I do not want to be seen... As someone who is pro-growth or anti-growth, I do not want to be seen as, oh, he likes classical architecture but not Victorian buildings, or he wa- he likes contemporary buildings, you know, he likes glass buildings but not masonry buildings. I mean, part of it is just really thinking about how does this stuff all fit together? Overall, does it add um does it add to the? Does it add to its surroundings? Does it deliver in a social way? Does it deliver in an environmental way? You know. So, in, in other words, rather than, I mean, there are definitely architecture critics, um, not so much at newspapers, if you, but if you like jump into the magazines, who they see their role as a. I'm a crusade for sustainability. I'm a crusader for blob of texture for minimalism, whatever. And so everything gets viewed through that filter. And I'm much more interested in kind of the messiness of how does Palo Alto look and feel? How does San Francisco look and feel? How do... Why is there this new cluster of towers on the south edge of the San Francisco skyline? What's the thought behind them? But also, critically, how does it reshape our thoughts about the city, and are we adding to the city in kind of a good lasting way, or is this stuff just kind of product of this era that'll be seen as something to really regret down the road? Because you definitely look at time, certainly a lot of the stuff from the 50s and 60s, you look at it and think, boy, that was not a change for the better. And even if you know, someone's like, oh, I love brutalism. And gosh, that brutalism building is such a pure example of brutalism. It still begs the question, okay, but is it good for that block, for that neighborhood, for that, where it is in the city and how it functions?
1: So are you seeing things um, from, uh, I'm trying to get into your head for a moment for Obviously, myself and our, our listeners, is are you seeing like the the, um, the mother and the stroller and the baby that's you know a couple several months old, and then the, the, the other child that's about two or three, and, and and the grandmother following with them. Are you trying to see all that in addition to the building and how they may feel about it? When you say you're not looking just for right now, right. you're looking in the future. I don't know if it's that am I not, digging not, too much? Not,
2: yeah, I think not in that sense of okay. how will posterity measure this architectural move, but it's more. <clears throat> What are we building here? Um, And, for instance, San Francisco, a lot of architects say it's too conservative or there's too much second-guessing and things like that. And there's a lot of truth to that. On the other hand, San Francisco is good at planning how buildings meet the street. You know, in other words— You want a tall ground floor. You want well-designed retail spaces, things like that. So you kind of look at a building and very much how is it within its setting and its context. And that's kind of part of what I'm looking at. also where posterity kind of kicks in is does this building live up to the potential of where it's located? So that again, does this – does this building... Is, is this building fitting for where it is? Okay. Does this building do honor to the location? One of the nastiest reviews I've written, and this goes back a decade or more, was the uh, Hotel Vitale, which is on the Embarcadero at Mission Street. And it's a hotel that I think was done by one of your former guests. Okay. <laughs> who shall, rena- who okay. shall remain nameless. It's a building that... If it was at 7th and Bryan or whatever, it would be like, yeah, whatever, sure. You know, kind of a little pretentious, but worse things have happened. <laughs> but you're on the There's Embarcadero, kitty corner to the Ferry Building, across from the water at the end of Mission Street, which is becoming such the main street of San Francisco in a lot of ways. And you have this building that was designed to not make anybody unhappy and to get through the planning commission and to check off the box of, okay, we dealt with that interest group, we dealt with that interest group, we dealt with that interest group. And so it really just reads like kind of a cynical zoning envelope wrapped in stuff. And it's just terrible for where it is. Yeah. You know, so that's the kind of thing. Like the Look reason, how you
1: wrap that up, that's great. I mean you phrased that yeah, just no, no, like no.
2: wow. Yeah, but but okay. you know, so, the reason I kind of vented the spleen was yeah. <laughs> Until the big earthquake comes along, we're only going to have one chance, and also it finishes off the open spaces at the foot of Market Street, so that's what is the south edge of all that acreage of parkland our or plazas and whatnot. Yeah. You know, so that kind of thing, again, it's not just a pure, take this building from its surroundings and look at it, but... What is this thing doing yeah. here? So that I think that's yeah. an important factor. What was
1: the response? Did you, did you get, I'm curious. What are a lot of your responses? You know, if, if you've ever quantified them. You know, some say thank oh, you very a much. Piece, you know, a piece say, like
2: that, lots of readers. Day, John, get lost. You know, whatever it is. yeah. A piece like that, lots of readers chime in because San okay. Franciscans are very protective of their environment. Uh, the architect never mentioned the piece to me.
1: Okay.
2: Which I suspect is. Uh,
1: says a lot in a way of not saying anything?
2: It could. I don't think they could really defend it, you know, and and I don't think they really... It's like, whatever. Um, The developer talked about it to me later, and it wasn't reprimanding me for the piece, but just like, oh, man, I couldn't get out of bed that day. Oh, really? You know, but, but some, like, most of the... But the funny thing about this particular hotel is... There are several kind of big name architects doing big buildings in San Francisco, and they fly in from out of town and things. And I might meet them for coffee or whatever, and they stay at the Hotel Vitali. because it's on the Embarcadero. And okay. I, and I actually asked one like, "But you know, why do you stay? It's such an awful building." And the, you know the answer is, "Oh, I never really noticed. It's what a great location." <laughs> it's no, like, okay. oh, come on, you're the architect. <laughs> So it's it's a futile fight, you know. Okay. How much do you think that how much do you think
1: do you, are some of your pieces influential in uh, what is designed mm-hmm. and built? Do you, you ever just thought of it? Yeah,
2: or, I I don't think I have much influence in a large way. And once or a voice. once or yeah. twice I've written pieces saying this building is way too big that's proposed. And I knew that the developer wasn't going to read it and say, he's right, I'll just knock 20 <laughs> stories off this tower. Okay. And I knew the politicians who were making the deal for the benefits weren't going to say, he's right, we'll make him stick to the zoning. Yeah. But it's almost like I had to say it so I could feel I had said it. Where I do think I have influence is maybe putting out a set of values that come into discussions. You know... I, the value of affordable housing, the importance of how, you know, kind of what makes a building successful in a commercial district or whatever. And then also a few just little crusades I've wielded about public access. You know, there's this whole thing. San Francisco has a laudable program downtown that if you do commercial buildings, you have to provide publicly accessible space like plazas or rooftop Mm -hmm. terraces or whatever. The problem is a lot of those spaces... The developer does them, but then hopes nobody ever really finds them or goes to them. So I've written a lot about. I, I kind of fight that yeah. fight just to say there needs to be better signage. There needs to be this. There needs to be that. And, yeah. And I and I've seen measurable progress there, but it's it's definitely an uphill battle.
1: Yeah. How about Marial difference? I know um, Willie Brown was mm-hmm. uh, wrote in the, not wrote, but. Um, Promote, not promoted, what do you call it, testimonial in, your, in one of your books. How, how, he did a blurb. Okay, a blurb. Okay. <laughs> a blurb. How, how influential are mayors in the cityscape, and the urban, yeah,
2: urban it, environment? It, it depends. I mean, in a city like Chicago, very important. Um, in Boston, when I was a young reporter, pretty important. I think in San Francisco, I mean, Willie Brown was very important. Not so much that he really cared about the particular look of a building, but he was very much, we've got to get Mission Bay going, we've got to get the ballpark going. You know, he'd, he made things happen that had languished for a long time, and I, I give him credit for that. I don't agree with everything he did in a lot of ways, but I think he very much was, enough talk, this has to happen, and it did. Um Gavin Newsom, I don't think, was as interested, although he had advisors. Gavin Newsom, deep down, is a very traditional San Franciscan. He liked buildings that looked like neat old buildings and thought the new buildings look kind of weird and do we need to put them there? But he, you know, kind of listened to advisors. But so it wasn't so much that as how it fit in. I think Ed Lee, you know, he is, I don't think he really cares about the architecture, which is not a value judgment the whole press of city hall right now is we've got to create housing and a lot of it has to be affordable and so issues of scale issues of architecture definitely in today's san francisco kind of play second fiddle to can it produce a lot of housing i mean i see projects that urbanistically i kind of feel like you know i think this is too big and that and i might write about it, but I don't make a crusade because realistically, my, gee, we've got to think about the shape and density of the city is not going to win out at City Hall over, <laughs> okay, but if we have an extra 20 stories, we're going to get an extra 400 housing units and 150 of those are going to be affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the dynamic in San Francisco. In the 60s and 70s, You know, when Alan Timko was starting out, the Chronicle, when a lot of the battles over the skyline were fought, there was more of a pure aesthetic. What is the character of the city? And I think now that debate.
1: Is there one, do you think? Uh, It changes. I'm a native of San Francisco, and I just – I know it's almost constantly evolving.
2: It's almost constantly evolving, but there's the whole – the city – the hills take precedence over the towers. Mm -hmm. The water and the sky and the hills are the defining nature, and you're more interested in the character of a neighborhood and a commercial district than the particular building. I mean, if you really look at Valencia Street, if you really look at Grand Avenue, most of the buildings are not at all interesting. But – no, no, I mean (laughs) just – and again, again, not a judgmental. They're just your kind of basic fill-in-the-blank six buildings to a block kind of thing. But you're on Grant in North Beach, and it's just this wonderful atmospheric thing. You know, if you purely said, well, how does this building compare to that, compare to that? It's like, who cares? I'm here. I'm having espresso. (laughs) I just went to City Lights Books. I'm going to go get a cocktail. You know, so I think the character of San Francisco has been that real rich sense of place. Yeah. And in the 60s and 70s, there was this real fight. We don't want Manhattanization. And we don't want just a whole bunch, you know, we don't want a bunch of towers that squash things. I think that the issue over the character now is more the social, cultural, economic, and class diversity issue.
1: Excellent. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford.
0: The Loop with Drew Deep is a radio show featuring electronic music ranging from house to techno, to down-tempo, and everything that's good in the underground. Each week, the show features releases, exclusive mixes, top picks, interviews, and live guest DJs from around the world. That's The Loop with Drew Deep Monday mornings at 11 a.m. all the way until 3 p.m. Now back to The Modern Architect.
1: We're talking today with John Keane, San Francisco Chronicle's urban design critic. For more information... Visit sfchronicle.com slash author slash john dash king.
2: John, you know, I never knew the uh, URL from my bio oh, no. before. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Now I've memorized it. Well, so I'm glad our listeners
1: get to hear you, you live because you're clarifying a, a, a lot for us. Uh, I go back to trying to get into John King's brain, if you will, when you go, look, I'm going to do a piece on this, this neighborhood can you take us through at least your initial stages of when you get there? Do you have a pen, 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 pencil, tape recorder, or are you just there with your thoughts looking at the, just kind of taking it in objectively and, uh, you know, just, just a bit of a process that you go through so that our listeners and your readers can see, you know what, this is what he has to go. This is what he goes through to come up with this piece. There's a lot, there's a lot involved. It's not just, oh, I'll write a piece. Right. There's, there's a right. tremendous amount of, uh, Um, emotion and sweat and legwork that go into this. If
2: if, if I'm reviewing a specific building, I want to be going through the building, ideally during construction, just so I kind of get an idea of the lay of the land inside, so to speak, and start getting a sense of things. Going on a tour with the architect is a way to get a sense of where they're coming from and what they're trying to emphasize, I might disagree with it, you know, when it comes down to writing the piece. But it's good to know where it's coming from. It's good to know kind of the planning and zoning involved. Uh, You know, so so it's a bit more of a methodical thing. If I'm writing more of almost a column type of thing about a neighborhood or downtown Berkeley or changes in Walnut Creek or the Stanford campus, that'll be a bit more... I wouldn't be starting to work on the piece unless I was had some ideas already. Okay, but it'll really become down to like walking around, but with a real, much more of a focused eye. And I'll be taking notes almost just to prod me. One good thing about smartphones, I'll be taking a lot of photographs. It's really like taking notes, okay. so that's you know.
1: So that's helped. That technology is definitely yeah. It's okay. just
2: good as a reminder and things like that, okay. and then just to kind of frame my own ideas. I might take photographs on my phone that then um, they won't necessarily go into the paper because we have a you know staff photographer who yeah. did the shooting. I might toss them into the online package for the piece because they illustrate something very specific I'm writing about, and the photographer didn't shoot that okay um i do interviewing but not a whole lot because you know if someone if i'm doing a piece on university avenue in palo alto and just the changing nature i did a column earlier this year on bell's books that was like kind of a riff on this incredible bookstore in downtown palo alto that's such a civic treasure It included my impressions of how this slice of old, cultural old Palo Alto, not just the building's an old building, how it fits into how University Avenue in downtown Palo Alto is in 2017. Okay. So I'm really walking around. I'm looking at things. My wife grew up in Palo Alto, so I've been here a lot over the decades but I'm not going trying to get comments from people because I'm not writing a news story. As Palo Alto changes, you know, (laughs) residents, da-da-da-da-da, it's more, okay, I'm, I mean, to speak kind of silly for a sec. I mean, I'm the added value. It's like I'm the critic bringing in this, I kind of pulling in this additional layer of thought. Here's this bookstore that in a way kind of captures... A sense of when this was a much different cultural community, when the world was much different. You know, University Avenue, it was like college professors yeah. and whatnot. And yeah. that's much different than the really fancy restaurants that are keyed to all the startups on the alleys, type of thing. You know? Yeah. And then you you go to Bells, and it's like, okay, that hasn't yeah. changed at all. And it's a way also to measure this other change. Yeah,
1: but you still capture that as much as you can, right? Right. within Within the time frame, um, are you aware of how many uh, major newspapers, that us say, a major metropolitans, have an, uh, an urban design critic or an architecture critic? Yeah, I, I,
2: most are called architecture critics. Okay. I I made up the name urban design critic, and okay. hindsight probably I shouldn't have because it's yeah. it throws people for a loop. Yeah. I prefer it, but. but in terms, yeah. well, I, I mean, I, yeah. I select it for a reason. But in terms yeah. of architecture critics, the Philadelphia Inquirer has a terrific one. Inga Saffron, who won the Pulitzer three or four years ago. Blair Kamen of the Chicago Tribune is terrific. He had won the Pulitzer before that. Um, Christopher Hawthorne down at the LA Times is very good. He's, he's a bit more intellectual than us, we're, we're more kind of plebeian <laughs> than he is. But he's very good, very smart yeah. guy. And he actually grew up in Berkeley, so he he writes about the Bay Area from time to time. The Cleveland Plain Dealer has an art architecture critic. The New York Times has a critic, Michael Kimmelman, who has kind of pushed the beat. architectures. He, he's much r- more writing in the big picture things. But for instance, last year, the reason we stopped the cityscape column is I tackled sea level rise and how that affects the future of the Bay Area and the planning issues involved. To oh, me,
1: good that, okay.
2: the yeah. urban design critic felt the future of the Bay, which is the defining physical feature yeah. of the Bay Area, that's my turf in a weird way. You know, architecture critic, I would not have thought of yeah. that. I mean, that that's my problem. I define myself too broadly. Yeah. But, but I was gonna say Kimmelman's yeah. done a piece like... Um, a series of pieces like that this year for the New York Times. It's the New York Times. So we went to China for one piece. He went to Mexico for one piece. He went to the Netherlands for one piece. Different travel budget.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned.
2: But but I got to the North Bay, so I I used a few bridge (laughs) tolls.
1: That's helpful. You broadened your description of what you do, but I think architecture has brought also in the last several years, Mm -hmm. has broadened, um, you know, what. People defined as what is architecture. Oh, and it's, it, what's your view? Do you see it constantly evolving as well? Uh, well? I
2: think architecture, there was a period where the form of the building was very much kind of what the critical discourse was about. You know, the, the way they look, the different styles. I think now it's much more kind of the sustainability aspect and how does the building add to the public good or detract from the public good. I think also landscape architecture you know the landscape certainly is to me an important aspect of the beat and I think for other critics as well which is very much what are the spaces we share I mean like the the spaces I was talking about the you know, people in San Francisco call them popos um you know <laughs> privately owned public open yeah. spaces you know that's a landscape that theoretically is a shared landscape is it designed in a way that entices people is in you know, uh, parklets the thing where you turn a few parking spaces into into like little seating areas mm-hmm. or whatever that's an that's part of the job you know so i define it i think more and more what we're thinking about is kind of the whole system rather than the individual monument
1: now would you say that was has your thinking changed that from today to mm-hmm. say say 5 or even 10 years ago on that subject?
2: I think less for me because, yeah. again, that's why I called myself the urban design yeah. critic because I was always thinking there's this bigger picture. I think...
0: In there kind there is. Of, in the
2: overall architectural discourse, there I think is. it's shifted. The yeah. whole notion of star architects and, you know, Disney Hall's super cool in this building and that building. I think that it's kind of moved away from that even if people... Sure. Yeah. Even if people kind of enjoy it and it loosens up... Um, But I I do think the way it gets more and more into the discourse and where I've seen the changing is really the importance of the social issues that get involved. Um, I did a piece earlier this year, a, a critical piece, looking at three affordable housing buildings in the East Bay. And it was a very much a piece to say these things don't just help the people who live in them. They improve their surroundings.
1: Oh, I like that. Wow, that, could be, that yeah. should be monikered or quoted. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been John King, San Francisco Chronicle's urban design critic, <laughs> a beat that covers architecture planning and related issues in the Bay Area. His writing on architecture and urban design has been honored by groups including the California Preservation Foundation, Society of Professional Journalists, and the California chapters of the American Institute of Architects as well as American Planning Association, He was also a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism in 2002 and 2003. For more information, visit sfchronicle.com slash author slash John-King. John, it's been a pleasure having you.
2: Oh, my pleasure entirely.
1: Thank you very much. We're, we're definitely honored. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives.
0: The Modern Architect is hosted and recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and it's production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. Assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner. And we're all assisted by Bryce Carter, the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect, is Tom Dioro. Please tune in again next week for another edition of The Modern Architect. Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com For their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.